Welcome to the House of Power podcast with me, Lance Kinnair. Mental health is a really hot topic at the moment, and that's why I wanted to get Steve Bobbs on the show. Steve's the leader of a not-for-profit organization, and what they do is they specialize in helping people with mental health issues. However, they're not doing it in the traditional way. So traditionally, you'd use things like psychotherapy or counseling as a way of managing mental health. Him and his team are implementing programs based around practices such as Tai Chi, Qigong, walking in nature, and even circus skills as a way of helping people to better manage their mental health. Now, the reason why this is probably one of the most valuable conversations I've had since starting this podcast is because everyone at some point in their life goes through a mental health issue. I think it's something we've all experienced at one point or another. And in the past, this usually got swept under the rug and we were told to toughen up and crack on and all this sort of shit, right? But now you're starting to see a conversation happen in the mainstream and you're hearing the media talk about it. You hear athletes and celebrities talk about it. We have things like Are You OK Day? We've got not-for-profit organizations like Headspace. And there's this real buzz around having positive mental health. And if a guy like Steve can implement these traditional practices and get results for people with very severe mental illness, so we're talking about things like suicidal tendencies and split personalities, there's going to be tools and resources that you can borrow from this conversation and implement into your own life for when you're going through a bit of a tough time. So even if that's maybe you know some mild depression or anxiety or even just general stress and overwhelm, you're going to find the things that we cover in this talk really, really useful. So some of the things that we chat about are the practices. So we discuss the different methods that they're using, the results that they're getting. We talk about this idea of forest bathing, which is actually something I had heard about but I wasn't really too sure what it is or how it works. So we discussed that. The third thing we talk about is the role of psychedelics and mental health. So if you've been watching the mental health space recently, there's this re-emergence occurring. So just to give you a bit of historical background, back in the 60s, there was a whole bunch of research done uh, on psychedelic drugs and how they impact people in a positive way and their mental health and all that sort of stuff. That, that got shut down and now what you're starting to see happen is a re-emergence of that. And there's things of microdosing LSD and psilocybin as a way of treating people with depression and post-traumatic stress syndrome. So we chat about that. And then finally, we look at Steve's big three tips. So these are his big three tips for better managing your mental health and taking charge of your mind. One of the things that we keep coming back to in this conversation is that as humans, we look outwards and we try to make things more complex. However, when it comes to managing your mind, it's, off, it's the opposite. You've got to look inwards and you've got to make things simpler. And sometimes it's as simple as stopping, pausing, and taking a breath. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Steve Bobbs. What I wanted to talk to you about today was your experience working in the field of mental health, but how you've brought in your other experience of things like martial arts, mindfulness, self-development, and um, many of the other areas you've worked in based around movement, breathing, that sort of stuff, right? But how you're applying to help people um, in the field of mental health. So could you give us a, a brief synopsis of what you're currently doing in your current position? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so basically what I've been moved into is doing a thing, is coaching in the mental health space. So kind of the, the normal space there would be either counseling, uh, psychotherapy or support work for, for people that are suffering with a mental illness. Uh, and the company I'm working, the NGO I'm working for adopted the idea of coaching in that space. So it's kind of a new, a new way of doing things. And it's taken off really well, and I think now it's being adopted by different agencies across Australia and, and, and further afield. So within that space, within the, the blanket of coaching, 
I think the main thing in coaching is is about awareness. You're always trying to bring uh, awareness to you know, your patterns. Often in coaching, we talk about subconscious patterning, uh, which we might pick up from an early age between you know, zero and seven initially. And they're like our unconscious programs that we're running. A lot of the time we get triggered into that space. Um, and then the coaching is all about bringing those patterns to the conscious awareness of the coachee. So it goes across the board. It doesn't have to be mental health. It can be everywhere, but it's been really interesting bringing that into mental health space. And so that's currently what I'm doing. Uh, I've moved from coaching into being the leader now, but uh, still sort of implementing a lot of programs based on this idea of bringing awareness. That's awesome. That, so the, the yeah, awareness, cool. I guess, tools or methods that you're using, what are some of those? Well, the mindfulness is, is, is always is, is gone into this space and there's been a lot of studies and scientific studies on mindfulness and depression and mindfulness and anxiety and using those two uh, uh, diagnoses of anxiety or depression often we talk about depression as being uh, worried about the past and anxiety as being concerned and worried about the future so just with that sort of idea there's there's a sense of not being present or not being able to be present, which is bringing on uh, the the symptoms of those diagnoses. So, what we, what we what we've done is uh, I, I took over when I first got there. I took over the mindfulness group, and what I find with mindfulness is it can be quite difficult for anybody to sit down and try and watch their thoughts or trying to really put their mind on their senses and becoming getting into that mindfulness space. I mean, and, and that's, I mean, if you're, if you're suffering with a mental health illness, then that, that, that's even more difficult. So what I've always found is that my background with Qigong and, and Elik Chuan, the internal martial art, and, you know, the other stuff that I've done to, along that journey, is that by using the body to get to, as a vehicle to get into the mindfulness state, it's actually kind of, I mean, I don't really like the term hacking, but it kind of does hack into that mindfulness space a bit quicker. Uh, for example... I've got this person I'm working with at the moment that that was suffering with with kind of ADHD and, and um, a whole various of, of, of things. Often when people are sick, they go to doctors and get a whole variety of diagnoses and stuff, so no one really knows what's necessarily wrong with them. But, you know, struggling to concentrate was one of the, the, the symptoms. And I suggested just like standing on one leg with your eyes closed. Now, obviously, I mean, most people can do that for there's some dogs going off down, down the road there. Um, That's all right. Just be, just my, be present with it. I'll be, I am present with this. Yeah, there <laughs> you go. <laughs> so um, standing on one leg with your eyes closed, most people can usually do it for around about seven to eight seconds. Yeah? And then we, we lose our balance because our, because our, uh, you know, awareness is, is we use our eyes to stand on your leg on one leg there's a lot of information that we're, we're picking up with the eyes you take that out of the out of the space then you're having to use on your internal reference points and so it's, it's automatically drawing you back to yourself um and if you're having a, a an episode where you're sort of in thinking spiraling negative thoughts just by sort of you know standing on one leg with your eyes closed you, you're automatically drawing yourself back to 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 a sim to a one point so that's a very simple sort of tool to use um within the whole sort of movement, mindful movement framework. Yeah, a couple of years ago when I came up to Cairns to do the, the retreat with yourself, so for those mm. listening, I did a three-day retreat with Steve where I basically was a live-in mindfulness student and um, we just went through every possible practice of practicing mindfulness and moving meditation and breathing and kind of everything you knew for mm. 12 hours a day and it was awesome. Um, but you gave me some homework leading up to it. And a lot of that was actually like circus skills. And I found that really, really interesting because this ability to be fully um, in my body, so to know what my right hand's doing while I'm balancing on my left foot, while I'm trying to, you had me balancing a broomstick in one hand while I was bouncing on the foot with my eyes shut, right? It's like I got out of my head, I got out of my head and I got into my body and the little voice calmed down. Um, mm. Yeah, so tell us more, particularly about the circus stuff, right? But tell us more about those practices and, and your personal experiences with them. 
Yeah, uh, again, it's, it's drawing it's drawing yourself down to that that one point, and and every sort of modality out there talks about being in the present moment, and you know that's that's where the power you have power of choice in the present moment if you can actually sit in that space. And so, um, years ago, I got got into into circus skills with a friend of mine, and we were running workshops based on using circus skills such as juggling or balancing or slacklining. Uh, still walking. What else did we do? I mean, you had po- poi as well. It wasn't really my forte that one, but mainly the idea was sort of taking yourself out of your comfort zone in a, in a in a relatively safe environment with a little bit of you know a little bit of danger there because <clears throat> I'm not sure if you know the idea of um, the, the 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 way of the, the, the guy Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi, which I can never pronounced properly but the, he did that study on float yeah um the original flow and he guy. talked <clears throat> that's right and he talks about the the kind of an equation of flow state which was um the task needs to be just above your perceived level of ability um to to to, to even conceive getting into the state of flow if it's too easy you get bored if it's too hard you're not going to try so it has to be something just outside your comfort zone and just just outside your perceived um ability zone for you to, to, to get access to step into flow. So I kind of use that as a bit of a, uh, an underlying idea with what I'm doing. So the idea with the circus skills, for example, you know, balancing, doing still walking is, is, is often quite far out of people's uh, comfort zone, but it's quite easy to, to do if you're in a safe environment. <clears throat> but it's forcing you to really micromanage what's going on in your body. Now that can, that can work for you initially, but then it works against you, you know, when you, when you want, want to actually do that skill. So we had um, workshops where, you know, you're, you're learning to juggle, um, you're learning to slackline, you're learning to, to still walk, and all with the idea that you're drawing in that focus. Now, alongside that, you mentioned the little voice. Alongside that, you, you get access to those little voices that, that are in your head, either it's the inner critic that tells you you're no good or you're, you're stupid or whatever that is. Um, you've also got the inner critic working with the judge that's inside you that's like, you know, judging yourself against others and judging others against yourself. And you get access to all this extra stuff that's going on that you might not necessarily be aware of. Hence the idea of these unconscious programs or patterns running through you that you can bring your consciousness to. And you get a chance to then sort of unpack that and decide whether the, you know, what what you're thinking or what those little voices uh, are saying are, are valid or whether they're outdated. And, and often we find that they're they're pretty outdated, you know, especially if we consider the idea that most of our unconscious patterning is coming between the ages of birth and, and seven. Uh, one of the concepts is that, that we're in a different brainwave state. We're more in a theta state for that time of our lives. Um, where we sort of pick up that programming and it's, it's external programming, also internal programs from from the TV, it's from our society, it's from all these places. Is that the imprint, and then we run they call the imprint phase or stage of development where we just imprint yeah. our minds with ideas and, and beliefs and stuff? Is that it? Yeah, that, that sounds exactly right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so then we were, and then we often are running them on a subconscious level. So it's almost like when you're turning on your your computer and you might see that you're you're using the interface that you're using, you're not seeing the machine code behind it, and the machine code behind it is kind of the programs that we're running. So that your personality on a daily basis is is kind of the uh, result of all the programs that you're running underneath the the sort of level of consciousness. So the idea of getting into that space where you can sort of, you know, try, you know, particularly sort of circus girls, because there's a le- there's an element of fun involved with that. So, you you know, oftentimes when you're doing something like, you know, meditation, there's this sort of kind of seriousness comes across, you know. And interesting enough, the, the people that I've met in life that I would consider most enlightened are not the serious types at all. They're, they're always laughing, you know. So um, <clears throat> a lot of us as students, we think we need to get really serious to get in this work, you know. I mean, it's serious work, but we don't have to be serious about it. Um, hence the idea, I like the idea of using circus skills. So by using, by, by, by pushing yourself into your uncomfort zones, you then get access to looking at the, you know, seeing the patterns that you're running, and then you can unpack those patterns, and that's where the real work is done, because you can start to realize that you can unpack the patterns that you have and the core beliefs that you have and then you can start to reprogram into the way that you want to be 
and that's done in the conscious in the present moment when um when i was in cairns doing the retreat <clears throat> i had probably one of the most profound turning points in my life and i was 12 months into a business that i had built and i realized i didn't want to be doing it anymore <laughs> and I, I blame you and so what 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 i'm what i'm saying is through all the work that we did because it was such an intense period of um practicing mindfulness through all these different methods right all these different things mm. i got to this point where my my mind shut down and i was able to question and and think clearly and there was just things coming up for me and i was i was challenging a lot of those beliefs that i had around what i wanted to do and where i currently was in life and, and that sort of thing so that was you know that was a turning point for me and at the time it was like this uh uh, what do you call it? Like a uh, midlife crisis, right? Like, oh, what am I going to do with my life? Mm. Type thing. Um, <laughs> but now, looking back at it, it was like one of the most profound, most important things I ever did and ever had to do. So, um, yeah, the, I have had personal experience using that kind of work, and and then doing a bit of self coaching with it, like alongside it, um, is, mm. is profoundly impactful. And I think. See, like, there's a lot of like mindfulness is the rage right now. Mental health is is a very hot topic. Yeah, but I don't see a lot of people putting the two practices together of using mindfulness and coaching, and they're not really packaging it up in a way that's um, accessible for people. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like for, mm. for the majority. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Like we've got this yoga hub down the road here, and they do mindfulness classes, and I think it's really just a, a guided meditation. But like you said, the real yeah. work—the real work's done when, when after that, like after you're in this mindful state. Why don't we, you know, do some creative writing, or why don't we talk about our goals, or why don't we address fears and limiting beliefs we've got? You know, you know what I mean? Like Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so it's really interesting because because a lot of when we're talking about meditation and and meditation is again all, all these things are kind of can be a little bit content, contentious, but. True meditation, and I'm putting out there with the word true, <laughs> but true meditation isn't a guided visualization. So, so you go to, you know, you go to a class and someone says, oh, we're going to do a meditation tonight. And I've done the same thing and I've used those words myself in classes, you know, and everyone lies down and, and you, you, you know, you go through the relaxation process and you maybe use colors or steps, you know, whatever you're using. Um, <clears throat> But that's not really meditation. That's being guided. That's essentially that's 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 hypnotism. Okay. So, what what there's no, there's nothing particularly wrong with that. But there's a bit of a you know it's not the right name to use for that space. But the interesting space is that we think that we need to get to to, to this idea of no thought. You know, and that's to me that's just a tool. So, for example, if I'm doing a mindfulness meditation, so I'm choosing to sit there by myself. I could be in a group, but the teacher isn't, you know, talking me through steps and colors and all the rest of it, which is, again, is beneficial, but it's not, in my opinion, my, uh, meditation. You know, so I'm sitting down and I'm, and I'm choosing to use the breath as, as a vehicle for keeping my focus on one thing. Interestingly enough, when we were talking, when you asked me about doing this, this uh, podcast and I was thinking about movement, you know, the very simplest conscious movement is watching your breath, you know, because your body is moving and you know, there's a movement there. And then the next movement that you're watching when you're doing this, focusing on your breath, however you're doing it, whether you're noticing, you know, the breath coming in and out of the nose or the rise and fall of the, the chest or in the belly or whatever, whatever you're doing to observe your breath. What you find in no time at all is that you, your mind wanders to something else <clears throat> and then you catch it and you, and you kind of recognize, okay, my mind's wandered, you know, laugh at yourself a little bit because again, you shouldn't take yourself too seriously and you bring it back to your breath. And then again, within seconds, you know, your mind's wandered. Hence, you know, the idea that your mind is moved. Right? So you've, your mind's moved to something else, and you have a reason to bring your focus back. I just said it's my connection is poor. It's reconnecting. Here we go. <clears throat> that was probably the okay. most. Whatever you, on, whatever you just said, then was you. probably the most important thing, and, and we completely missed it. So. <laughs> <laughs> But let's just be present with it, right? Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, so I think I'm back in. Good. Um, uh, where, where were we? So we're talking about uh, mindfulness and movement and we're talking about mental health. Maybe we'll just change tack because I lost quite a bit of that question. Um, okay. How, so tell us about a couple of the um, 
types of clients you're working with that have mental health issues and sort of what they are. So we kind of get a, a bit of context around who you're helping. But the sure. applications of these mindfulness practices um, and how you're implementing it all. Okay, um, cool. So I'd agree, I guess, as it were. Demograph, can you hear me? Yep. Is yep. um, severe and persistent mental illness. So it's 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 the people that are that are, are quite on the on the pointy end of the scale. What what would that mean? Um, what sort of um, how would that present itself? So that would be people with uh, bipolar, um, uh, you know, acute depression, suicidal te- uh, thoughts. Um, people that uh, extremely anxi- extreme anxiety, so you know, agoraphobia. Um, there's a, we have a few people with personality disorders and you know, split personalities, um, and then it can also it can also sort of range to people that are, because it's, it can be episodic in nature. So you don't you're not necessarily sick all the time, but you're going through spaces where you are you know in, in a quite bad space. But that might change back to being a not so bad space if you know what I mean. Yep. So it's a it's a it's a quite quite an extreme group. Um, potentially to work with, and and so what what, what we do is we actually have a, a coaching program where the, the client works with a coach on whatever they actually want to work with. So the coach doesn't doesn't come with an agenda, and then we run groups alongside that that, that people can get involved with, and that that can be anything from art groups to to, to mindfulness groups, and in particular, have you heard of forest bathing? Uh, say that again, forest bathing. Forest bathing, yeah. That's a, it's a Japanese thing that oh, talks yeah, about. Oh, yeah, yeah, I have actually. Where you just stand in the forest and, like, is it absorbing energy type? Is that the idea, like just getting in nature? Yeah. Yeah. It's just getting in nature. So there's, there's no, there's, there's minimal concepts in that space. So, you know, you're just going there, you're, you're, you're doing like a slow wander around in nature where, you know, you're just being with nature as such. So the group's called Being with Nature. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, so, and, and because, you know, the idea is that nature is the healer in itself, you know, but it's all of these things, again, are, are tools to, to slow down, to get back into that awareness space. Yep. So, so what, what's happened with the, the, the mindfulness group when I took it over, I, because my background was Qigong and Tai Chi and stuff like that, um, in circus, I mean, I, I did teach them to juggle one time and, you know, throw balls around the room and sort of lots of walking and, and sea walks and, um, lots of laughter because obviously laughter is a really good medicine. Um, but I, I, I really incorporated the movement of the body, and from that group, everybody decided in that group that they wanted to start to learn Tai Chi, you know, like officially, because I wasn't teaching Tai Chi; I was just teaching movement. And so then I called in a called in a Tai Chi teacher, and it's all of a sudden got me. Hey, Steve, it's it's gone to shit again. I might recall you. Yeah, Steve's in Cairns, top of Australia, zero reception, but a very beautiful place. And nearly everything there will kill you. Like, if it's not malaria, it's pythons or orb spiders or dugites or something. Like, there's just crocodiles, box jellyfish, every, like everything in Cairns will kill you. Yeah, so I'm at. Hey, man. Hello. That's Hello. better. That's way better. I've just driven to, um, I'm now at the skate park. So. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, better, I, I was yeah. just observing the, the frustrations coming up, and so I was just being present with that whilst we were having trouble reconnecting. So it was a great opportunity for mindfulness. <laughs> there you go. See, that, 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 that's just using uh, every opportunity, isn't it? It's great. It's a, so this, this call became a teachable moment, and in fact, it's become a practical. <laughs> it's now become a practical session for everyone. So there you go. You can you can use that. Yeah. Um, so you, I tell you where you got up to. You, you were telling us about mm. uh, forest bathing, and yep. um, you either started doing movement with them, but you did you bring in a Tai Chi instructor, or were you taking it? Yeah. No, so I was doing movement with them. So you know, based on mindful movement and you know, circuitry, all, all the stuff that I do, and um, and then because I got a promotion. Uh, I kind of, as as usually is the case with promotions, you move away from what you're, you know, what you're really good at, and you get moved into this new realm, and you have to become really good at that. So, um, it's a good progress. It's it's good progress for me. Yeah. So that being the case, 
I asked the class what they wanted to do next, and they they wanted to do involve you know go more immerse themselves into Tai Chi. So I found a, a really awesome Tai Chi guy that's um, you know focused on not just Tai Chi but also movement based stuff as well. And he's come in and taken over the group, and they're in their second twelve week uh, phase now. And the group, often in this space, you, you start off with groups with, with big numbers, and they t- tend to dwindle. But the group has stayed with uh, a consistent sort of seven to ten people the entire time, which is really good for you know a long running group like that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's probably, and you know, the social aspect um, in terms of mental health is huge. Like I see it. I see it with a lot of the oldies that come in to do the living longer, living stronger class at, at the gym. And, mm. and the healing part of it isn't the exercise they do, it's the social aspect of getting out of the house for the day. You know what I mean? Like, exactly, yeah. Connection is massive. You know, isolation and, and all that sort of stuff is massive in the mental health space and, and, and the age space, yeah. Um, I, I was going to bring up something about um, circadian rhythms. So did you see the Nobel Prize this year was presented um, based on the research into circadian rhythms and they actually identified what the mechanism was that controls it. No, but you can, you can, you can inform me of that. That'd be great. Yeah. So I don't really know the science as such, but the, um, there was just more research done on circadian rhythms and they, they figured out what the, like the controlling physiology is that actually syncs us with nature. And so this Mm. idea of what was going on, you know, in, in traditional Chinese medicine, they always talked about, um, being aligned with nature, and that's kind of the, yeah. whole, the whole thing of Taoism. Um, but also that you know every every organ has a time, and there's you know throughout the day there's optimal times to eat, and optimal times to go to the toilet, and optimal times to sleep, and it's in mm. alignment with nature, right? Um, yeah. So that's yeah, and when we're out of those rhythms, this is traditional Chinese medicine. When we're out of sync with that, then we have blockages of qi, you know, and uh, that's yeah. where sickness comes from. So I think it's really fascinating now that the science is catching up with like ancient wisdom and philosophy, and something mm. as simple as just going for a walk in nature during the day, getting a bit of sunlight, hanging out with some trees, um, would have a. I wouldn't be surprised if there was research coming out, or if there is any around how that actually impacts people's health and well-being. Would you happen to know of anything? Um, not specifically, but, I mean, there is, there's, um, uh, if you look up forest bathing on, on, on Google, it, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a massive movement of that, obviously, originating in Japan, and there's, there's even instructors that are, you know, the, the, it's, it's, with all these things, you know, people come up with these great ideas, and then, then other people want to do them, and then they become sort, sort of... Uh, dogmatized as it were into into this is the way the correct way of doing stuff and i'm i have a the, the rebel part of me really gets annoyed at that sort of space um because you know the idea of doing something natural is really kind of putting yourself over to the present moment and as soon as you start imposing you know this is the correct way of doing it then you've you've put a level of uh, of, of, of kind of you put something between you and nature and I find that with a lot of lot of the disciplines in, in terms of mindfulness, there's always this supplanting on the, this use of a tool, and then it becomes about the tool and not about you know not about the, the practice. It's a bit like the Buddha pointing at the moon, and then one looks at the finger. You know, it's it's so so basically what I'm saying is you can look up forest bathing online, and you and you'll see lots of stuff. And I'm sure there's probably some science in in there. But again, I, I tend to not be too concerned with necessarily with the science i mean i like it when science proves things that that you know we kind of kind of intrinsically know but um it doesn't sort of i don't for me i don't wait for the science i think that there's a there's an inner well you know if we do if we're connected to nature we have our inner nature and again it goes back into the idea of you know what programs we're running on, on how close we can get to nature um so, so I think there definitely is stuff coming out, and I think that it's useful to know that stuff, but but really, don't wait for that stuff till you try it. If you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, and that's it. Sounds really similar, and we're going down the woo-woo path here, but I love it. Um, it mm. sounds very similar to um, traditional shamanic practices, where they would try and embody 
you know, animals and trees mm. and they'll try and talk to nature as such, like they connect with it in a way, mm. like, like the Dallas shamans and stuff. Like, um, yeah. 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 And you've hit on something that I really get quite passionate about. It's like, well, <clears throat> because I've been teaching Qigong for years, I think I started learning it about 15 years ago. Um, and through that, through, through that whole idea, you, you come across, you know, there's thousands of different exercises and, and different styles and, you know, different masters saying that their style is the best and blah, blah, blah. And I, I think the, what, how it, my impression is that if you, if you can find somewhere to stand, it doesn't have to be in nature, but it's nice to be in nature. But if you're standing and you, you loosen as much of the tension in your body and you start to connect with your breath and you start to feel a connection to the surroundings that in itself is, is allowing nature to become your teacher. And in, a, in that space, you might start to feel like, you know, you notice the breeze. And so you might want to move. It's almost like um, um, interpretive dance somehow, you know, but you might start to move with the breeze and feel like a tree, you know, and, th and that would, that would, you know, there may be a correlation between trees and the, and the sinews in the body or something like that, but you might move, in a particular way because you feel compelled to, that you're feeling connected to, and then you're allowing that connection to move you. And then, and that could be a various different ways. You might see a chicken walk past, I don't know where you are, but you know, you might, and you might start to feel like you want to move like that to experience what that experience is. Yeah. And this links in, in a little bit with their NLP and the, the idea of modeling something and getting access to thoughts by acting in, a, in the same sort of way as, as that person. In that in that idea that so I've, I've stood in nature and I've started to move a certain way and someone's watching me and they think that the way I'm moving is 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 they're attracted to being to do that themselves. They might come across to me and say, "How do you do that?" So then I say, "Okay, well you put your left foot here, you know, you, you lift your right arm up, and I'm starting to look at what I did and teach of what I did from a physical perspective rather than teaching the connection and allowing that person to move in their own way." And then it becomes a dogma. Then, you know, I teach that student, that, teach, that student teaches somebody else and somebody else, somebody else. And eventually, you know, you end up with these styles of movement that are really, you know, have similar, similar origins but are quite different in, in the way they move. And they will all have benefit. I'm not getting away from that, that space. But I think we can't sometimes miss that, you know, just connecting yourself with nature, being present right there in nature um, – is really where, where the, the whole power and the key comes from. Can you tell us a bit about how implementing this stuff uh, with the mental health patients, how it's actually helping them? Because they're obviously enjoying it, which is the main thing. Like they're doing a practice that they regularly want to be at. So that's like, first of all, a big win. But um, how's it actually benefiting them? And what, what have you seen as a result of this? Well, some of the feedback I'm getting in, and it's and it's and it's anecdotal, you know, because we're not scientifically testing these things, but we are sort of we have used um, a few sort of self surveys, you know, in terms of you know, am I feeling a better able to cope with the day and stuff like that? And you can see tangible results that the answers are yes, you know, there's less days where they feel disempowered through whatever they're going through. Um, but but essentially, it's I think through the process, the, the learning that, and again, this can be contentious, but what they're going through is, 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 a, is a transitional state. So it's, it's not necessarily going to be here for, forever. And they're, you know, they're, they're finding little gaps in, in that, that sort of sentence, as it were. And they're better able through being mindful and recognizing, you know, the shift of weight from foot to foot and, you know, which arm feels this way and that way, that they're, they're realizing that they're not necessarily a slave to their thoughts. And so they can actually, you know, not in all the cases, but, you know, over time they can start to uh, choose the thoughts that, that we're working with. And the thing is, I mean, we, we can all do this, you know, but it's, and, it's, and, it takes, and it's hard for all of us. So, you know, imagine that, you know, it's hard for, for someone that is, you know, I'm using the inverted commas of saying to do this stuff, but, and you find someone that's struggling with a mental health difficulty, it's, it's kind of sometimes it's further down that space. But interestingly enough, what I find with a lot of the people that I've coached in the mental health space is that they are already in touch more so with their emotions and their thought patterns because they're, they're sort of thrust into having to deal with it on a daily basis. 
you know the the other the other part of the the population can somehow remain asleep you know just watch tv when you get home just go to work just buy what you're told to buy you know just be the sort of the, the clone of society and it kind of gets me into the idea of where mental health issues might come from in the first place which is kind of not being able to put up with that anymore you know so some of us can sort of be in the the everyday world and, and all of a sudden realize that it's not fulfilling or it's not reaching my it's not what i was born here to be and do you know i'm just running those programs and i suddenly wake up one day and go you know i, I want to break these programs and sometimes the programs break by themselves and then that can lead into a into a mental health issue so that's, that's really interesting um i i uh, attended a workshop on self-awareness um, it was like mm-hmm. a self-awareness for the workplace, right? That type of thing, very mm. corporate. Um, but what they were saying, and, it, and it's so obvious, but it just something I hadn't acknowledged at that point in time, um, was that there's different levels of self-awareness and it's a skill you develop over time and some people have it and some people don't have it. And mm. uh, I, I think certain individuals, and like you're saying, particularly people who are constantly dealing with their um, you know, psychotic episodes all the time, they've got to watch their thoughts and they've got to be very self-aware. So it's just, um, it's just fascinating to see that their actual you know, um, curses become a blessing in some respects because they're more in tune to their thoughts than I think many other people actually are. Mm. Well, it, reminds me of, it reminds me of there's, there's a, a psychiatrist called Stan, Stan Groff Stanislav Groff, and he did a lot of work with um, uh, psychotropic substances back in when it was legal in the in the early 60s, and then it's sort of he's still alive now. He's in his 80s now, and he's still teaching, which is fantastic. But um, him and his wife uh, came up with this idea of spiritual emergencies. So the idea of a bit of a pun on the word of emergency as a, something emerging, but also like it's a you know it's an emergency. Um, and talking about people that are going through psychotic episodes are actually going through a an emerging process, which is very acute and um, uh, very very difficult. And what he was suggesting was that what what happens to most of us when we go through some form of trauma is that at some point we switch off, yeah, because it can be either becomes too painful emotionally or physically, and we so we detach from that space, and so in effect, we become unconscious at that time. And so we don't get access to the, again, potential gifts of that space. And again, I, I use that word with a bit of trepidation because a lot of the stuff that people can go through with trauma is difficult to think of as a gift. Mm. But the, the, the concept behind it is that there's an unconscious, an unconsciousness happens. Um, so a lot of the, 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 the therapy in that space, and we don't do therapy where I am, we're just doing mindfulness stuff and coaching, but some of the, some of the therapy that comes about that is by, by bringing yourself back into that space, you know, and with your, with your consciousness and becoming present into that space, you're relieving the tension that is caught in that space. And it's a bit like, um, we mentioned shamanism before, it's a bit like, in shamanism, there's a thing called soul retrieval. And the idea is that, you know, when you've gone through a trauma space in your life, a part of your soul is trapped in that area. And so, you know, the, sh- the shaman's job there is to go on a journey to whatever world, the upper or the lower or the middle world, and go there and, and, and get your soul back for you. That's, that's what a, one, of, one of the processes of shamanism would do. Um, you can also do that for yourself, but um, it would require a level of dedication and often in these spaces going to that um going into trauma can lead to re re-traum- you know re-traumatizing yourself so you, you've got to do this this sort of work carefully and, and ideally with you know a trained professional um i, I want to touch on a hot topic which is that you brought up which is the psychedelics so there's a lot of um and i'll use the word emergence coming back about uh microdosing things like lsd and psilocybin as a, mm. as a healing tool now for people with post-traumatic stress or addiction and stuff like that. So I know it's not something that you're doing with, with your, your patients, but it's in your field. So what are your thoughts on that? And um, tell us a little bit more about how it's being applied. 
Yeah, so I, 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 I've not used, I've not been using psycho, psychedelics and psychoactive substances for, for many years myself. Um, I do have a history of, of, of use of that. Um, and it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting topic. Uh, I haven't tried the microdosing thing, so I, I can't really speak of authority of that. But th as you said, there, there's a lot of press going around that you know that that you can use that for um, you know accessing flow states and all the rest of it. But also, um, there's a lot, there's, there's quite a lot of stuff going around about, especially with the psilocybin type, you know, the more the, the natural psychotropic plants as opposed to the synthetics with you know LSD and stuff. That um <clears throat> that uh there's a healing 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 space in in there now i think there's there's a lot of levels with this now you know back in the day when i when i was was experimenting with with psychotropics and there was definitely a difference between mushrooms and, and lsd there's you know mushrooms had a, a to me anyway had a bit more of a and I don't want to go too woo-woo, but they, they felt like there was a, something there that was kind of comforting or, or almost paternal on some level, whereas LSD felt kind of, a, you know, more more a, a colder energy to it. So almost like, you know, digital music versus, you know, uh, live musicians, you know, and that's a bit of a, you know, a dodgy analogy, but, you know, analog and digital, that sort of thing. Yep. So, but, but, it's almost like because because the, the the psychotropics had to me at least that sort of sense that it was being overseen by something or someone that there was almost like that was that that was what was leading the healing and so you know the experiences that you would have would be the experiences that you would need to help the evolution of your of your soul and we're going we're getting to very sketchy territory <laughs> <laughs> i know i know yeah. i know people are probably yeah. starting to tune out now but um yeah i it's this idea of the, the comforting effect right yeah and and it's there's something there's absolutely you know if, if you if you have a nice safe and we talk about set and setting you know if, if the place that you're doing this stuff is, is safe and there's someone there that's you know able to look after you physically, you know, um, then you can have a very beautiful experience on these things. And that in itself leads you into that sense of beauty. And, 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 and you can get to that sense of, you know, maybe there's a, there's a moment of enlightenment, you know, you know, I'm thinking of those Japanese movies where, you know, the samurais had a very bloody life and just before they're dying, they see the, the blossoms for the first time. You know, and they go, oh, everything's perfect. I think that was in The Last Samurai. I think it's coming to mind now. But the um, the idea that you had that moment where you realize that life is beautiful and, it, and it's exactly as it should be. I think that these substances can, in the right spaces, bring that on. And that if that feeling is, is strong enough, then, uh, you know, the past trauma can be healed, I think. But again, you know, this is it's, it's difficult territory to get into because... I think I read somewhere that they've just started. I say they, as in the powers that be, have just started to to, to allow um, clinical tests with psych psychoactive substances again. Mm. So I think there may be a space that this is going to come out uh, a bit more. But again, I, I I would go with Stan Groff. He did a lot of work with 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 the psychoactive substances when they were legal, and has since kind of found he, he has a thing called holotropic breath work, which is a way of accessing altered states through breathing, you know, a, a type of breathing patterns um, that can then rekindle the, the healing healing space. But another thing, interesting enough, I was reading, I watched a docker the other day on surfing for post-traumatic stress. I don't know if you'd heard of that one. Um, no, but I can see all the things that would make it a very healing process. Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. Being with nature, exercise, exactly. flow states. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. So I think it's a lot of the time is the the danger with like in my my understanding, my, my my feeling is that we all tell ourselves stories, you know, and these stories can come from the patterning, you know, the programs that we've run, you know, the story of who I am, the story of what I like, the story of what I don't like. And whatever these experiences that we're doing, it's challenging the status quo of, of, of our story. And if it's challenging enough and it's, and it's feeling like it's safe enough 
you know, that, that idea of safe and danger, you know, but you're in that space where you're safe enough to feel unsafe, if you know what I mean. Um, if you can get into that space with any activity, you get chance to re-look at your story. And when you look at your story, you realize, and again, in the present moment, you realize that you have choice and you have a power in that space to change your story. Now, it's not like a one-shot thing. You can't just wake up one day and go, you know what, I'm fed up of being you know, anxious. I'm just going to now let it go. You know, it's, I mean, you might get that thought and you might get the, the real sort of, from whatever practice you're doing, you might get that real sense of this is exactly what I'm going to do. But then you still need to work at it. It's the same as anything, you know. That's why you have a daily practice, whether it's exercise, mindfulness, being with nature, whatever your daily practice is that you have to do to, to reinforce who you want to be, to reinforce the stories that you want to, you know, you want to start be, being the main character in. And that process in itself is the work. You know, when we, when we talk about the work, that's the work, you know, recreating, reinventing, restoring our lives. We, we have to do that and we have to find the tool that's going to fit us to do that. So whether that's, you know, waving your arms around in the air and, and feeling like you've got chi or whether it's, you know, standing in the forest and, and acting like a chicken, you know, whatever it is for you that's going to. Um, you know, go surfing or taking psychotropics or whatever whatever it is that's going to work. I think the word for psychotropics is now anethogens, but anyways, it just came to my mind. But um, you know, whatever whatever that process is, I think it's all about bringing yourself into the present moment and realizing that you know, a you know, you're you you have a potential of being an unlimited force of power for whatever you want to do in your life, and then how can you how can you do that? How can you remind yourself of that on a daily basis? And acknowledging that you're going to have these patterns that come up, these core beliefs that come up that are going to challenge you. And you have to work on that space. You know? A lot of us want to take a pill and, and everything to be perfect. You know? It's like you, know, you, you go to your, your one-week boot camp of martial arts and you think that you know, at the end of it you're this awesome martial artist. And, you know, as we all know, to, to get good at these things, you need to have, you need the dedication, commitment and dedication. So... Um, yeah, I kind of felt like I was on a rant then. <laughs> it made sense. No, it was a good one. It was a really good one. So you, you brought up a couple things um, that I find fascinating. I'm, I'm intrigued by ancient wisdom and the stuff that has been um, encouraged over millennia, right? And that's, mm-hmm. that's things like if you look back at most traditional cultures, they, they all have a lot of things in common. So one of them is using um, some form of, psychoactive substance to achieve enlightened states mm-hmm. another one is things like dance movement and breathing um, another yep. one is prayer so there's you know and then we can even look at the martial arts side of things because every culture had some form of um particularly wrestling pretty much every traditional culture had a wrestling sport as part of um their culture right so so these are the things that fascinate me i'm just like obsessed with them and i think there's <laughs> wisdom in all of that tradition that has been there for millennia that's just been evolving over time right and we've kind of suppressed yeah. that um mm. if you look if you look at every major world religion they all have this aspect of um moving and one of the interesting things about moving is like uh, whether it might be rocking in a prayer state or it might be bowing repetitively or it might be, you know, like the whirling dervishes of um, Sufism. Mm. It, it's like uh, that, that, what I've, through some of the research I've done, um, that activates the vestibular system. And that's mm. very similar. It creates a comforting effect like that occurs when you're rocking a baby to calm them down and you, jump, you, you know, shake mm. them up and down a little bit just to keep them calm. So this idea of, of calming the mind and settling the mind, leading to things like healing and stillness and all that sort of stuff. Um, I don't fully understand it, but there's something there. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. And yeah. I, think, I think science is now starting to reveal it. And I think because mainstream media is talking about mental health and talking about meditation and mindfulness and all this, it's starting to come to the forefront. You know what I mean? I just, I, I yeah. love that, yeah. I know, and, and it's interesting to, to, to look at the different ways and means. And I think, 
I think they're all valid and I think they're all just paths up the same mountain or maybe they're different mountains, but you know, at the top of the mountain, you get the similar view. And, and I think again, it's like, as you know, a lot of the sort of, you know, when you're looking, you're called a seeker, aren't you? A spiritual seeker. And I think that we can, we can, especially in the West, um, that's probably a bit of a, you know, maybe all entire the whole world, but I've got a street cleaner coming past me there. A bit more noise. Be present with that. Um, I think that we can we can get stuck in the seeking and, and not in the actual embodiment of what we found. You know, I meet this all the time with people that have done qigong and say, "Oh, I've done that, you know, goose step qigong, and I've done this style of qigong, I've done that style of qigong, I've done this type of tai chi and that type." And you know, it's almost like we dip our toe in, and we and we and we're just again, there's that magic pill. I've done this style, but it didn't quite work. I've done that style, it didn't quite work. The more I've looked into these different sort of modalities, especially kind of a bit more along the breathing sort of mentality, breathing sort of modalities, it's all about, you know, the very, very simple processes, you know, and it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost like everything is too simple for us to, 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 to really get involved with it. You know, it needs to have, you know, to do these practices, you don't need to have fancy shoes you don't need to have you know the lycra you don't need to have any of this sort of stuff and 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 the difficulty is we we actually want that i mean there's there's part of us that want to form a tribe mentality so i mean i've run clubs where there was no uniform and people got confused they started dressing like i did because they felt like they must be a uniform so steve must be like being the unit you know what i mean so and then i'd sort of wear something different the next time and that confused people because there was no uniform but there was there was a sense of wanting to spend money wanting to join in um and I guess that's part of the collective tribal mentality that we have. And I guess that's natural. And maybe I'm just trying to be too much of a rebel in that space and not embracing it. But I noticed that my classes that I didn't, you know, have a form of, of, of conformity weren't, weren't as successful as the ones that I did kind of suggest wearing a certain attire, which is kind of really interesting to notice, you know? Yeah, it is. I think there's a lot of people want to be led type of mentality mm. you know what i mean it's just mm. human nature in some respects it's, and that's fine you know i mean i guess you know not everybody is a leader and not every not everybody is a follower it's, it's, it's deciding on on which one you are you know we could and no, oh sorry sorry to cut you off i was going to say we could quite literally talk for hours and i, I, know, I know i know, I know. We, put a 30, <laughs> we put a 30 minute time limit on this conversation that's and probably an hour ago yeah it is that, it's been uh, 54 minutes so far um, so uh, what I want to do is, is start to wrap it up and I want to leave um, the people listening with some actionable steps. So not everyone suffers from um, psychotic episodes. However, I think a lot of people would benefit from learning ways of being mindful when they experience moments of anxiety or depression or um, overwhelm, right? Because I think that's a very common thing for a lot of people. Uh, so what are your big three tips for using these practices uh, for mental health, just general health and well-being. Okay, so I would become aware of your breath. You know, don't try to don't try to force your breath, but just become aware of your breath. And through that process of of noticing your breath, I guess you you want to allow it to naturally calm down. Because I mean, the, the, these can be dangerous. Because if someone's hyper hyperventilating and all the rest of it, and they're, and they're just panicking, it's it, it, it's hard for them to, to control anything. But if you can become aware of, okay, so I'll go back on it. So be aware of your feet on the ground, and then then from that space, be become aware of your breath. Because you're you're gonna give yourself by becoming aware of your feet on the ground, you get a sense of stability. You get a sense of safety because the earth, you know, in a lot of cultures, the earth is the mother, you know, whatever. But, you know, we stand on the earth. The earth supports us. If you can remember your connection to the earth physically by standing on it or sitting on it, wherever you are. But that, that's, there's, 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 there's a, a primal reminder there, I think, that, you know, that, that we are supported. So recognizing the feet on, feet on the earth, maybe, you know, if you really want to pull yourself, try and stand on one leg. You know, bring yourself into the moment. If you really, you know, if you practice the bit, close your eyes and stand on one leg, that really does force you into thinking about that winner. What what have you got that's left to support you, you know, when you're taking away those sort of externals? So feeling your stability, feeling feeling your, your you know, where you are on the ground. 
and then noticing your breath. I guess that would be one and two, maybe one, but <laughs> um, noticing your breath and just noticing how you're breathing. Are you breathing high? Are you breathing low in the body? You know, most uh, modalities talk about breathing down to the more to the belly using diaphragmatic breathing, but just notice where you're breathing. Notice that you know, n- noticing the the natural pause between the breath is another good way of recognizing something. You, you're investigating the gaps between the breath. And then the third one would be something that you would have to have as you know, committing to a daily practice of some form of movement. Uh, you know, whether that's yoga or tai chi or going to the gym in a mindful way, or you know, going for a walk in a mindful way and just bringing yourself as often as you can to that, to that present moment because it takes practice to, 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 to look after your, your mind, you know. And through that practice, you know, you can start to recognize certain ways you act. I, I'm going to use a, a quick example here, Jim, but that's my three main ones. So checking your feet on the ground, recognizing your breath, and committing to a daily practice of whatever you choose. Um, you know, because it is going back to the idea that programs, you know, running programs, when you start to bring your awareness to the to the the inner environment in your head and you start recognizing these different programs, you can start realizing why you're acting in a certain way. For example, you know, I can be at home and I'm thinking about, uh, you know, I've got to prepare for a speech that I'm doing in a, in a you know, a, well, just recently, I've been doing lots of trainings and speeches and things like that. So part of my brain is, is, is concerned about getting ready for that and then thinking, you know, have I memorized it all, you know, and I might be washing up at the time and, and my brain is in that space of thinking that. And then my daughter might come up and start asking me, you know, she's only three, so there are lots of, uh, lots of questions. And I, dad, dad, dad. And I'm being pulled from what I'm thinking about into the present moment with my daughter. And there's a reluctance to go there because, you know, I need to get this thing right for, for work. And so I could find myself being kind of offhand and, and kind of rude to my daughter. Yeah. But if, and if I'm not aware of it, I'm, that's just who I am. Now, if I become aware of it that, you know, I'm wanting to do one thing, I'm being pulled to do another thing. I then, <clears throat> and it's in the present moment, I have a choice of what I want to do. I can either speak to my daughter and, and attempt to ask her to, you know, be quiet for five minutes, you know, once I finish thinking on this thing, or as often the case is I know, okay, I have to put this thing on the back burner and then, you know, carve out a time in the day to think of that, but right now be present for this other thing. But but if I'm not aware of, if I haven't built up a daily practice of, of awareness, I'm just going to be running on automatic. And I think all of these, and again, all of these things are about getting out of the automatic, waking up. You know, and and staying, finding as many different ways to to stay awake as you can. Awesome. There's so many pearls of wisdom in this conversation. It's so it's been so worthwhile. I'm glad we didn't waffle too much. Oh no, not at all. Um, where can people find out more about you if they're interested in doing something like one-on-one coaching with you, or maybe um, doing some mindfulness or, or tai chi training, or even coming up for a, a retreat? Yeah, so really, I mean, you can find, if you go to stevebobs.com, um, that just links you to my Facebook page currently because uh, I got fed up of trying to run and build my own website constantly. So that just goes to my coaching page, and on that coaching page, I'm calling myself Barefoot Bobsy. Um, Love it. One of, the, one of the reasons for that is that I was reading a book, and I, I already knew this, but I was reading a book, and there's a guy, guy that called himself the Barefoot Sensei, and he suggests going out on the trail with, without your shoes, you are forced into the present moment. And there's a reality there because if you're not, you'll stub your toe or you hurt your feet. So one of the easiest practices, you know, is to just take your shoes off and go for a walk in nature. What? You've got to watch out, for, go watch out for the double Gs in Perth and stuff, you know. But You, you, know. you want to talk about synchronicity straight after this call, I'm going for a barefoot run. And, there you uh, go. And one of, the, one of the reasons why I've been attracted to it is because it ticks a lot of boxes for me. And the, the runs aren't long. They're maybe 30 minutes, m- very max, like 20 to 30 minutes. But mm. it's, it's barefoot in nature, outside, in the sun, focusing on breathing, focusing on what's my alignment like in my body. Um, it just ticks so many boxes. You know what I mean? Mm. And, and I come back and from it, a different person. 
And it's so simple, isn't it? Yeah. And again, it goes back to that previous thing I talked about, about having equipment. You're getting rid of equipment again. You know? And one of the things is, is to, um, you know, be barefoot. Also, you know, shirtless if you can. Obviously, you know, yep, girls might have to do something a bit different, you know. And yep. so, you know, you, you're, ending, you're ending up with just a pair of shorts. You know, where's the money in that? And it's a yeah. bad business model, you know. <laughs> Unless you have specific shorts that cost, you know, five, five, 500 bucks or something. You know? Yeah, and, <clears throat> you know, the, um, the, the science behind doing something like contralateral movement now, like um, actually running and doing cross-crawling type patterns and things like that, um, mm. and barefoot, so strengthening your feet as opposed to wearing shoes, will actually mm. make you a much more athletic person, even though you're jogging at a slow pace, but just mm. reconnecting the whole body together, getting the feet working right. Um, mm. The transfer, in my experience, has been huge. Like, like you become more explosive, stronger, everything, just from a bit of a, a jog a couple times a week. It's, it's well worth it. It's amazing, it. isn't it? Yeah, it is. All right, let's call it a day, Steve. That was really good. And it's, and. And finally, I just want to say it's awesome to see your work finally finding its place in the sense that you're not teaching nanas anymore how to do a bit of Tai Chi. <laughs> I think this is really like actually profound stuff um, that you're doing and it's, it's really good to see that. Yeah, it's Excellent. Really yeah. Yeah. It's, it's taken a while, isn't it? But, you know, finally get there. Yep. Destined for great things, my friend. All right. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll finish up the recording. And um, thank you.